A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church. And uh, to get us started, I want to ask you something that you've probably already been thinking about since it's the beginning of the year, which is what story do you want this year to tell for your life? That we all want our lives to tell a good story. It's the kind of changes that all of us want to make in our lives. We want to have a good story. And we're kind of hoping that it'll be like a great story, like, you know, the Disney Pixar classic Toy Story. Like, that's a great story, right? You know, Disney's got a whole bunch. We got Beauty and the Beast and Lion King. But a lot of us end up with more like mid-2000 Disney films, like uh, The Country Bears, which is uh, a movie, until I put that up on screen, you forgot existed. It got, Disney collectively burned it out of all of our brains. It was that terrible. And some of us, we end up with a Country Bears kind of story. Now, I don't know if you've seen the latest uh, Disney movie, Wish, or not. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. It's out in theaters. I think it's out in theaters right now. And I'm not going to comment on the quality of it. Yes, I will. It's terrible. But um, <laughs> I'm not really talking about the movie review here. I'm just here to say, if you don't know what the story is about, this thing should have been a home run. It is like the most American movie ever made. The basic premise of the movie is that there's a kingdom where any, everybody has a wish, everybody has a dream for how their life is going to go, and there's a king, and he can grant all the wishes, but the king only chooses to grant the wish of some people, and so the people revolt, and the people decide, well, we've got to make sure everyone gets to have their wish, and their dream, and their story go the way that they would want it to go. But it's a bad story. See, what it is, is we all want to be able to determine the kind of stories our lives tell. It's really the American dream and promises. No matter what story you're born into, you can, you can make your own story. You can make it work out for you. And a good preacher at this point would say, and I'm going to teach you today how with Jesus you can get the story that you want. But I ain't a good preacher. So I ain't got that for you. What I got instead is to say that what most of us want is we want the ability to define our stories 
for ourselves. What I mean is I want to decide what's a good story. What kind of life would be good and pleasing for me? What would make my life good and meaningful? It might be a great career, right? And so you think, you know, if I can get a great career that not only provides a solid income, but, you know, kind of is my dream job. That kind of leaves me with all the things that I wanted, all the respect and admiration from other people that I feel meaningful when I go to work. Or it might be that, you know, I want a good family where you all have strong relationships and you enjoy being together. Or some, some of you, in, in my generation at least, but let's be honest, not just my generation, you want a good story without kids, right? You're saying my good story would be one where I don't get any kids. You, it's not that you don't want family, just mom and dad was not really the idea you had for your life. And so you're thinking, well, I just love a life where I don't have kids. Or if you got kids, I can get them kids gone. If I can get them gone, that'd be a great life for me. Or maybe it's some kind of romantic relationship. And the truth is, even now, romantic relationships are things we can define however you want to define them, right? In fact, we have a whole term around it, which is define the relationship. You can have romantic, sexual encounters, never ever define the relationship. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want a specific title. Maybe there's a specific place that you're trying to get to, something you want to achieve. Or maybe it's a restful and enjoyable retirement that you're trying to work for. Maybe you thought, hey, if I could be entrepreneur, if I could be partner at the firm, then all of a sudden everything would kind of be the story that I want it to be. It might be a standard of living you want to achieve. It might be the luxury of taking as many vacations and trips as you want or as many purchases as you want to have, and you don't even have to think about the cost. That's kind of the dream. I can just go out and spend the money, and I don't even have to think about it because there's plenty others out there. It might just be this undefinable feeling that you're pursuing, and you think, well, when I get there, then I'll know this was my dream. This was my wish. And what all of us are hoping for, not just the children who go see the movie Wish, what all of us are hoping for is that I'll be able to get that dream. I'll be able to get the story that I always thought I really wanted. And what most of us think the good life is is me having the ability to define for myself and to pursue my definition of what the good life is. No one should ever tell me, hey, don't pursue that. Because if it's my dream, who's to tell me I shouldn't be able to go and accomplish it? As Americans, this is what we call freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whatever I dream, I should have the freedom to go after it. I should get to pick my story, and I should never have to live a story that I would never choose. It is somehow a great tragedy if I end up in a story that I would never want, if I end up with a dream that I never dreamed up. This is what most of us live, which, of course, never really works out because all of us get handed a story because no one would have chosen a story where you got served divorce papers. No one would have chosen a story where you were cheated on. No one would have chosen a story where you got the diagnosis you got or someone you loved got the diagnosis they got or you were left to care for a parent or a spouse with dementia. 
Some of us were born into stories of abuse and neglect and abandonment that we would have never chosen for ourselves. You probably never planned on being a single parent, if that's your story, or losing the job of your dreams that you worked at for 30 years, and all of a sudden it was just gone right before you could have started drawing on the pension. Other people in our world are born into poverty and hunger, living disadvantaged lives that the rest of us take for granted. Who would choose that? Well, they didn't. They got handed a story. But we hate the idea that we're handed a story because we instead choose to believe in an American dream. And anyone, despite their circumstances, despite the story you were born into, you should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You should be able to make the story happen for you that you always wanted to happen for you. And we don't realize it, but what we've done is we have turned life into a never-ending pursuit of whatever we can imagine will make us happy. And the problem with that is you can always imagine a little bit more. Because you got the job you thought you wanted to have. And somehow you imagined something else. You got the spouse you always dreamed of. And then suddenly you started imagining something else. You got everything you really wanted, and it turned out that wasn't enough. And so most of us live pretty anxious most of the time because if my story is up to me and I'm unhappy, I'm doing something wrong. I got to go do something to fix this story. We're pretty irritable most of the time. And we're pretty much living full of conflict most of the time because what I learn is no one else is as interested in fulfilling my dream as I am because they all got their own dreams. They all got their own story. So I'm trying to figure out how to get them on board with my story and convince them their story's not a good story. They should get on board with mine. And if they can't, I'd prefer they just get out of my way. So we live with lots of conflict, which leaves us feeling pretty lonely, even in our closest relationships. Because what you eventually learn is, oh, they're mostly interested in getting their way, and I'm mostly interested in getting my way. Maybe they're not really for me. And then the sad truth starts to come through. Maybe I'm not really for them. Maybe I think I'm for them. Maybe I'm really for me. And I start to feel lonely and isolated because we're all just trying to tell our own story. That's a depressing way to start the year. <laughs> but to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to accept we all get handed a story. We all get, were born into a story that began long before we were ever even born. Long before the first human was ever even born. The story of the Bible is a story of creation, fall, and redemption. And it all started before any of us were here. It's a story we were born into. It's the story of a good God making a good world where he and the human beings that he lov lovingly created in his image he desired for us to be with him. That he gave us power and authority, or as your Bible probably says, dominion over the creation. That the, the goal was that human beings and God would lovingly interact with one another, cooperate with one another to rule over this creation. But as you know the story goes, human beings rejected God. As all of us have done in our own lives, we all said, no, I'd like to be in charge. 
because an enemy convinced us of a different story. His story was one where the only reason God created human beings was to control them. He's like that good king who won't give you the wishes you wanted. You got dreams, you got plans, and he's holding you back. See, what, what the enemy said, what the serpent said to them was, he knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be just like him. You'll have the power to do what you want, to get what you want out of life. And he says, you'll know good and evil for yourself. And he doesn't mean know it like intellectual knowledge. He means you will determine for yourself that what, what is good and what's evil. You will determine for yourself. You know what? I think God's rules of what's good and evil, that's a little outdated. That don't really fit the story I want to tell. So maybe I'll determine that this is fine. I like it. Everyone else seems to like it. This is good. This is fine. This is the way it goes. Everything's good. The myth is the ability that I could define what a good life is for myself. And human beings bought into this story. We reject God's authority. Sin enters the world. It wreaks havoc on the good creation that God creates. All the brokenness in your story. All the brokenness in my story most of which was brought on by me, was brought on by you, but you also know you got handed some other people's brokenness because they made some decisions and it affected you. All of this is a result of this rebellion, is a result of this sin. And then Jesus came. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, he crushed the power of the enemy. He crushed the power of sin and death he defeated the enemy. He made a way for us to live in freedom, to be free of the power of sin. But freedom in Jesus is not American ideas of freedom. It is not the freedom to choose your own story for yourself. Freedom means that we are free from living as if I'm the one who has to create my own story. I am free from living from the idea that if a good and pleasing life exists, I'm the one that has to go get it by any means necessary. I am free to trust and enjoy the life that God has given me. It's the freedom to live into the story that God has been telling since the beginning of the world. A story that is all about God wanting interactive life with you and with me. What I mean is that God wants to do life with you where you speak to him and he speaks to you, where he guides you and you listen where he tells you, hey, this is the best life for you, and you live it out. It is an interactive life. Freedom comes when you accept, I was not meant to be the sole ruler of my life. Jesus is king. He is Lord over everything. And he has given me authority over the decisions in my life. But freedom and life is found when I submit my authority to his authority, where I turn my kingdom and my story over to his story and his kingdom, because he is the author of the story, and the author has all authority. So he's not looking for mindless drones who will just get on board with what he's calling you to do. He is looking for cooperation. So understand that you have to really break that word down. He wants to co-operate your life. He wants you to co-operate your life with him, Instead of you operating your life as you see fit for the story that you want for your life and you dream for your life since you were a little kid, he is asking you instead to say, will you cooperate with him, interactive life with God? 
This is what he wanted in the beginning when he walked in the garden with human beings. He just wants to be with us. And it's what he wanted when he gave us dominion. He didn't say, hey, just take it. Do whatever you see fit. If you blow the whole thing up, I'll come back. I'll fix all of it. Isn't what he said. His goal was that we would rule, that we would make decisions in this life for the good of others, just as he has done for the good of us. He wants to be with us. He wants interactive life with you. And the good news is that no matter what life has handed you, no matter what story you were born into, no matter what brokenness was thrust upon you, or you brought onto yourself through your own sin, through Jesus, God has made a way for you and I to come back into life with him, back into interactive life with God. And it's all through Jesus. So at the beginning of each year, we tell the story of Jesus because we are Jesus' people. And so we look at these Jesus stories, these stories of Jesus interacting with human beings and inviting them to interact with God, to move towards life with God. And the more that we do this, it changes us because when we get the stories deep within us, when they become the guiding stories of our life, they become our story. One day, early in Jesus' ministry, he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and he had drawn such large crowds that he needed to borrow the boats of some local fishermen to use as a stage. So he climbed into their boats and finished his sermon. When it was all finished, Jesus turned to these seasoned fishermen. Jesus said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, traditionally in this period of history, fishermen would fish during the night when it was so dark that the fish couldn't see the nets in the water and would unknowingly get caught in them. And this was incredibly strenuous work, so these men were likely exhausted. And as one of the men, Simon, said to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. They were exhausted and frustrated. And now there's this non-fisherman telling them to get back at it? These guys are experts. Most likely, they have been doing this job since they were young boys, learning the trade from their fathers. There was not a lot of mobility in the job market in the ancient world. People weren't pursuing deeper meaning and satisfaction in life by changing their career field to something that would fit the story that they wanted to tell. If your father was a fisherman or a carpenter, most likely you would be as well. There were a small number of people who had done so well in Hebrew schools of their day that rabbis would choose them to be their disciples. In the highly religious culture of ancient Israel, these jobs were highly valued, but were only reserved for the best of the best. It was not a career that you chose for yourself. You were chosen. You were given a story, and the story Simon, his brother Andrew, and their business partners James and John had already been given. It was the story of fishermen. And so when Jesus shows up and tells them to try fishing the waters again, Simon responds, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. We know how this story goes, and it doesn't end well. But still, Simon said, But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Before Jesus had even made the invitation, Follow me, to these men, Simon was already behaving like a disciple. I think I know better. I think I know how this is going to end, but because you're the one who told me to do it, I will do what you say. And as we've already read from our scripture reading, we know how this story ends. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I've always thought of miracles like this in the same way that I think of a magician doing a trick with a volunteer from the audience. The volunteer is pretty inconsequential in the equation. It's all about the magician doing the trick. And obviously, Jesus can do anything without our help. But it's interesting to me that Jesus chooses often to invite men and women into being part of the miracle. And I don't believe that our participation is inconsequential like a person picking out the four of hearts in a card trick. I think it's much more like a master craftsman asking his apprentice for help. The master is the one with the skills and the knowledge required, but the apprentice does assist. Simon and the fishermen still sailed the boats out into the water and threw the nets into the lake. Jesus did the miracle, but it was through their interaction with him, or what we would call through their faith. Faith is not simply trusting in the right ideas about God. Faith is when we act upon or interact with those truths in a way that has an effect upon our life. Faith is not some magic power that can make whatever you want to happen, happen. That's not the way it works. But faith is powerful because we are interacting with the truth of God and what he has told us to do in our lives. Just like a master engineer who learns the truth about physics can do a powerful thing when she interacts with the truth that she's learned by building a pulley system. The knowledge does you no good. It's when you can apply that knowledge to life. This is how God interacts with human beings. He invites us into a life of faith, a life of interactive relationship with him, where we cooperate our lives in such a way that our lives are changed and we can have a positive effect on the world around us. And when Simon, who later would be called Peter, interacted with God in this way, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He knew that what he had just experienced was the power of God flowing through him. And he knew, I'm not worthy of this. But then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, if you thought fish were cool, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come follow me and you'll see and you'll do things that you never thought were possible. He was calling them to be his disciples. He was inviting them into a story that they never thought would be possible. And so Luke says, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So the story you just heard is uh, one of the most familiar stories that gets told around the church all the time. In fact, if you haven't been to church, you won't know this, but that story is so well known that at least when I was growing up and going to church, I didn't become a Christian until I was in college, but my mom made sure I went to church all the time. Uh, this was so well known, there was a song that they put with this, uh, this with. Any of you know the song that I'm talking about? There's a little song that goes with this story, and it goes like, I will make you... Yeah, that was terrible. That was really terrible. So only a handful of you know, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. Now you'll notice they thought we were stupid back in the day, so we had to repeat it over and over and over. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And then because they thought we might have that part, they did give us two lines of chorus. If you follow me, if you follow me, but we were stupid. I will make you fishers of men, 
if you follow me. Now, my name's Ed. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, that's what's left of all of my musical ability at this point in life. Uh, 60 years in, uh, that story uh, sticks in my head, and every time I read it, that's what I think about, that little song. I think about how that got drilled into me, and now you know why, because it was simple and repetitive, and it's an earworm, and it just sticks with you. But I, I, while I don't really like the song that much, I love the message of the song that Jesus invites people, hey, if you'll follow me, I will give you a way better story than what you're trying to do. If you will follow me, I, I will totally rewrite your story into the one great story that's already been told long before you were born. And little did I know 60 years ago when I wasn't even a Christian and my mom was forcing me to church and I would always lie and be sick and I would stay home as often as I could and they would fight with me to get me to go. Little did I know 60 years later that I'd still be teaching people about this story. And I've taught this story many, many, many times over the last uh, 40-something years of my life. And one of the interesting things to me at this point in my life is not that people don't understand the story that Jesus calls people and he invites them into a whole different way of life. There is a part of the story that every time you teach it, people, and particularly modern people, I guess, which is all I've ever talked to, it, they just can't get in their mind. And they try to rationalize away and they, they try to think of about a, a different kind of way to make it fit into their life. Because I've got a story and... So it's, it's not, by the way, the miracle. I think most people think if there is a God, he can do supernatural kind of things, and maybe they don't know how the whole thing takes place. And I've actually heard some people talk about Jesus just had a way of seeing the fish down in the water, and he had like a bass profinder under his robe or something. I don't know. But Jesus did this supernatural thing, and people could find the fish, and that wasn't that big a deal. It, it's not that. It's the last line that was in the video that people can't get. Jesus said, follow me, and they left everything. They left everything and followed him. Boy, the knots I have watched pastors tie themselves into trying to explain how it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. They left everything, and they followed him. And the reason it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and, and the Bible doesn't give us all the details of this, but if you read the whole story of Jesus, you get some of these details. There are some details that come after that when they, they leave everything that are really interesting details that I wish I could hear the conversations. Like, we find out eventually Peter's got a wife. Now, that's a conversation I'd like to heard. Hey, I was down on the beach, and we caught all the fish, more fish than I've ever caught before, and this guy said, come follow me, and I'm going to go do it. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to go follow him. And he, and he did. Now, what that tells you in some part is she, because we learned she's still with him later. She also had some faith because, I mean, she's counting on him, Peter, for everything. She can't work. She's a woman. Can't inherit. She's counting. And Peter leaves everything. Now, maybe you can't imagine, but I can imagine because I grew up on a pretty large family farm. I was the only son, and I can imagine James and John going back to their dad who had this family fishing business that he's going to hand off to them. I can imagine as the only son walking up to Zebedee and saying, hey, dad, you can't count on me anymore. I ain't going to be here. I'm going to follow him. That's conversation. 
I mean, that's, that's something. But they actually did. They, they left everything. And we try to get it in our mind that it probably didn't mean everything. They're all in a small area, and they saw all of that all the time. They probably still helped out, and we don't get all the details of that. Until you read later that there's this conversation. We're going to talk about this in these Jesus stories where Jesus winds up talking to a rich guy, and he says to him, hey, leave everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he doesn't at the moment follow him. We don't know what happens to him later. But the disciples get that Jesus asked him to leave everything, and he doesn't do it. And Jesus says, as he walks away, really hard for people who've got a lot in their lives to, to do what I ask them to do. It is really hard when you have a lot and you have your story. It is really hard to follow me. He said, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle for people who've got their life all planned out and they got all the stuff together and they got money and stuff. It's hard. And the disciples got it. And they, it's like Peter wants a pat on the back, which he often did. He says to Jesus, well, what about us? We did it. I mean, if you think Peter didn't leave everything, Peter says, hey, we left houses and families and everything for you. What about us? So they actually did what we often think maybe it didn't mean what it means. It means it. They left everything. And you find out later again, and we're going to look at some of this in the, in the book. I hope you'll be here with us for the whole series. It wasn't just these 12 guys. Often people are rationalized and say, well, they were special. They got a special call nobody else got. Man, Jesus asked this of people again and again and again. A guy comes up to him one time and says to him, hey, I've got to go bury my, dead, my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. I mean, let's leave it all behind. One time, he says to people, if you don't love me more than you love your mother, father, sister, brother, even your own life, you cannot follow me. You can't. He says to a couple of different people, sell everything, give it away, and come follow me. He says to everyone, by the way, anyone, anyone, I think that includes me and you, anyone who wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And here's the thing that history tells us you can't deny, you must deal with. They did it. They flat out did it. I mean, and not just these 12. There's a group of women that we find out have money, which some of you women ought to take glory in. These dudes leave everything, and there's some women with money, and they go, oh, we'll pay. <laughs> that had to humble them. There's these women that travel, and they're paying for stuff. At one point, Jesus sends out 72, not just 12. We'll talk about that. After he's resurrected, he gets 500 together. And he appears to them. And with just a few hundred that listen and follow him, he rewrites all their story. And now you know the name of... I mean, how many people from the first century who fished do you know? Four. Peter, Andrew, James, John. Well, I should say five, Zebedee. You don't know another one. He rewrites their story, and later, here we are 2,000 years later, and they got written in the story, and their lives changed. But it wasn't just them. 
After them, there come scores of people through the years, a guy like Francis Assisi, who gets born with tremendous amount of money, and he decides to leave it all behind because Jesus called him. And he lives a life of poverty so great and starts a ministry so great that it has lived for 800 years still helping people in poverty around the world. There's a woman that many of us know that in the late 20th century, in the early 21st century, we still talk about her name. We know her as Mother Teresa, but that wasn't her name early in life. She was just a teacher, just a teacher. And Jesus calls her. And she leaves to go serve the poor and eventually becomes a Nobel Prize winner for doing what Jesus asked her to do. I mean, I could go on and talk to you about people in our country, people like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and William Wilberforce, who's actually in another country, but his impact impacted us because of the slave trade. Martin Luther King Jr., who, while they didn't have to leave behind profound riches, they left a quality of quiet life and the security of just staying in line for the fact that they would all give up their life and their safety for the standing with Jesus to say, every person you see matters the same to God. They are all equal before him. And everyone should be free in this world. I mean, men and women throughout the centuries have allowed Jesus to rewrite the story they had in their mind when he called, and they followed him. And you know it, because many of you, you've done the same thing, and he's rewriting yours. It was their faith, like Leah said in the video, that they decided faith did not mean I get what I want if I can get the right. I mean, somehow in our generation, faith has come down to you just have to believe and you force God to do something. If you have enough faith, God, the God of the universe, will do what you ask him to do. If I can just believe and I can put faith in it enough, I can change and move mountains. Forget the part that Jesus said, if you can ask it in my name, like I would ask it if I were there. What you're asking for, I'd ask for. Now, you just want to ask and believe somehow. You know, we, we forget the fact that it's really easy to tell how Peter, Peter, James, and John have faith. How do we know Peter, James, and John, all of those guys had faith? You know how? When Jesus called they turned their feet, and they followed. Nobody had to wonder, well, I think they're a pretty nice person. They, they wound up saying the right things. When Jesus called them, their feet turned, and they began to walk. Now, let me just be clear, not perfectly. If you haven't read the stories, you'll find out. Peter's a mess. Peter can't get it right. James and John, Jesus says, hey, go out and heal people. Instead, they say, how about we call down fire from heaven and just kill them all? <laughs> and Jesus goes, uh, I think you missed something. We're not going to do that. They're a mess, but they don't ever, when he walks, they walk. When he turns, they turn. Whatever he asks them to do, they give it their best shot. 
And here's what I know for sure is they did not have a clue when they stepped out of that boat what it would mean for their life. They just knew this is my chance. That man, this is my chance at a life that really matters. And now you know their story. But I guarantee you it wasn't the story that their mom sang to them about on their, little, on their knee. It wasn't the story that somebody told them, and hey, this is the dream. Grow up, follow a Jewish rabbi, and die a horrible death. But people will remember you the rest of eternity. They got remembered not because their story was so important, but because they allowed Jesus to write them into his story. And by doing that, everything changed. They turned their feet, they started walking, and life began to change. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what that means for you, and I don't know what faith looks like for you this morning. Maybe you're here for the very first time, and all of that's a little overwhelming. But hey, you're here. And somehow, God is here. And at some point, maybe you sense that he's asking you to do something, and maybe you're not ready yet to leave everything, but would you just take the next step? Would you just keep walking? I know for some of you in here, because I know the nature of our community, some of you, your next step is that finance thing. You want to hide it, but you ought to have enough faith to admit, I need to do something about that. I ought to follow Jesus enough to admit, I need to figure out how he wants me to do this thing. For others of you who have been here, around here long enough and you're trying to figure out where do you fit in around here, you ought to go to the next step center and figure all of that out. I'm not in charge of your life, thank God. <laughs> but I know this, there is only one story being told in this world. And you can choose, if you want, to listen to the voice that says, Hey, come follow me. And the story he will tell in your life, better than anything you ever dreamed. But you got to turn your feet and follow him. So we're going to give you some time to reflect on that. Jason's going to come and talk to you, lead you in a prayer of reflection. So the good news that Jesus offers is that no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, that offer of life with him, it's yours too. It's available to you. And like Ed said, all you got to do is just turn your feet towards him. Just take a step, start walking. And the good news is, is the moment you do that, the first step you take will be met with God's love and God's grace. His power and his presence will be right there with that first step. And it will be more than you could ever do alone. So the question I want you to sit with for the next few moments is, what is your next step? How can you take a next step toward Jesus today? And like we've been saying all morning, maybe this is brand new for you. Maybe you're 
you're new to faith, you're not sure what this is all about or what you even believe about God, but today you felt something drawing you towards that new kind of life. So can I suggest that maybe, maybe in that moment, that drawing that you felt, God is actually speaking to you. And in just a moment, I want to give you just some seconds of quiet so that you can talk to God. Or if you're not ready to talk to him, just reflect. Let him keep talking. Think about what you've experienced and what that next step might be. I want to call your attention again to that card that's on your chair. And you'll see there's a place for you to sign up for that one-hour experience we call Next Steps where you can just investigate life with Jesus, what life with our church looks like. Take that card, sign your name there, give us a way to contact you and let us know you're ready to take that step and then on your way out, you can drop it in the bucket. And again, if you're trying to figure out faith, you're new to our church and you just want to know more, that's the thing to do. You're going to meet some people, you're going to figure it all out one step at a time. Or can I say to some of you, you've been around our church for a little while. Some longer than others, but the truth is you used to be involved. You used to be taking steps with Jesus, but not anymore. Something happened along the way. Life happened. And you no longer serve or you no longer attend that small group that you used to be a part of. And you know we believe that life with God is not where you are right now. Life with God is not you and him. It's a we together a community with Jesus at the center so what better time than the beginning of the year for you to take a step back into the community that you're invited into I want to invite you to check the box on that card and drop it in the bucket as well and we'll get you started back taking your next steps or maybe you're here and you're doing all this stuff and God's been leading you to take a next step on your own with him that's different Whatever that step might be, would you talk to God in the following silence and follow wherever he leads? And after you've had that time of prayer and that time of silence, our band's going to come back and they're going to sing a song with us that talks about life with God and the metaphor that Jesus used himself. Jesus talked about a branch being connected to a vine. And he said, our job is one thing, just abide or just remain or just live connected to God and just depend on Him. We're going to sing about that together. But right now, take the moments of quiet. Talk to God, reflect, and then we'll sing together.